Hey Angela, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Jeffrey. How's things down in Melbourne? Oh, it's a gorgeous day today. It's a gorgeous day. Hey, it strikes me that we don't want people to think that it's only you and I producing this podcast. Everyone at the Ligon Group is involved, aren't they? That's right. It's definitely not just the Jeffrey and Angela show. There is a lot that goes on behind the scenes at the Ligon Group. Yeah, and in thinking about that, one of the people who is very involved in this podcast, Tom Carey, is coming up to, possibly has even passed his one-year anniversary with us. Yes, he is. It's a great opportunity to give a shout out to Tom and all the work he does with digital marketing. And there's a lot of you know expertise that he brings to the Ligon Group. Yeah, it's also a good opportunity for us to embarrass him because he's a bit shy. Anyway, <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> thank, thanks, Tom. Welcome to the Source Pod. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Smart, one of the directors and co-founders of the Ligon Group. And I'm Angela Lehman, education analyst at the Ligon Group. The Ligon Group is a group of international education nerds. We're a group of uh, experts in a, a range of different areas of international education. And we work with clients across Australia and around the world, in fact, to find the best ways to make sure that people working in our sector are making the most of, the, of their business and their institution. In this episode... We're talking about our closest region, Southeast Asia. We're discussing how this region is linked to our international education sector's past and how it will be essential for its future. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by the fantastic Rebecca Hall, the outgoing international education sector's senior industry specialist at Austrade, who has recently been appointed as a Victorian commissioner to Southeast Asia. So why do you think it's important that we dedicate a whole podcast episode to Southeast Asia, Jeffrey? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, when you think about this, if we go back decades and decades and decades, international education in Australia really started, didn't it, in Southeast Asia with Malaysian students and Singaporean students choosing to, to come here. And that trickle turned into a flood, turned into a really steady flow. So in a sense, Southeast Asia just has super, it's super important to, as you said, our past and our future. And in our view, I think in the post-pandemic world, it is going to be a really important building block for our recovery, not just in Victoria, but for the whole country. And if you think about the countries of Southeast Asia as sites of international education, international education plays out in its broader sense. There are branch campuses, all sorts of T&E collaborations, and increasingly on online study being taken up in Southeast Asian nations. And we know from the work that we do that some of our clients are really active looking at additional transnational education opportunities as they come up in new ways in, for example, the Philippines. There's something for every subsector. There are school students, Alicos students, TAFE students, opportunities for vet providers, universities. And of course, there's research engagement. There's some really amazing research collaborations being done by academics in our universities with their Southeast Asian um, counterparts and Southeast Asian industry sectors as well. 
Southeast Asia is a favoured destination for Australian students who want a learning abroad opportunity, whether it's a long-term um, opportunity or a short-term opportunity. And I bet, I think I'm safe in saying that domestic students will be jumping on flights as soon as they can um, to get back into the nations of Southeast Asia to undertake those learning abroad experiences. Southeast Asia, in some parts, we have a, we have a sort of an important aid and engagement relationship. And some TAFE providers, some universities are doing really interesting stuff in Indonesia and other places that builds on that that aid commitment. And of course, over all those decades, Australia has built a really strong reputation and I think a friendship with governments and communities right across the region. In fact, I think it's safe to say that international education has made a major contribution to the development of Southeast Asia and its constituent countries. And this reputation, I think, is is durable from a rebuilding perspective. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It kind of reflects on some work that we did, the Ligon Group, earlier in the year, where we did some just some reflecting back on the history of Australia's international higher education sector and its relationship within our region. And, and we kind of explored how the two are inseparable, our geopolitical relationship to the region, our geoeconomic relationship to the region, and how that is entwined with education relationships. And I think going forward, particularly at this particular moment in time where we are seeing a moment of pot potential regional instability, that actually research um, and education relationships will have an even stronger and more heightened importance going forward generally for the recovery of the nation, as well as our as our universities and educational institutions. So it is a really important region for us at this particular moment in time. Yeah, and the recently signed Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership with ASEAN plus Australia, China, India, Japan, New Zealand and South Korea really gives us additional opportunities, I think, to take advantage of that really impressive set of FTAs to take education and research further. Yeah, that's right. And I think this RCEP agreement can't be underestimated, the, the significance of it, because when you think about the population of the countries, which is the 10 Asian nations, plus China, Japan, South Korea, New Zealand and Australia, that's more than 30% of the world's population. And one thing we do know about Asian, just Asian on its own without those additional countries, is that this is a particularly young population. Mm. We have a rising tertiary education age population. So more than 65% of Asian's population is under the age of 35. And this is wow. growing. It's also a rising middle class. So we're really well positioned within this region to be really contributing to the, the growth of this region and also to benefit from this growth. Absolutely. So today we're talking with Rebecca Hall. As I mentioned, she's the newly appointed Victorian Government Commissioner to Southeast Asia. However, many of us in the international higher education sector know Rebecca well in the work that she's done with international education, leading the sector, particularly throughout this time of crisis. And we asked her to reflect on what she saw as the sector worked together during this pandemic. This is what she told us. I guess I want to start on the reflections of the start of the year because whilst we might see and hear in the media about disagreements across our federation or states and territories not working together, uh, as you noted, I saw firsthand how uh, the various leaders of international education were working together at a level that I had never seen before. And I've been doing this for 20 years in local, state and and of course, federal government most recently. 
So it's a challenging time though, because you can't share all of that, all of that policy thinking as you're developing it. And the stakes are so high as well in terms of the messages and how those messages may be interpreted as well. So I know the sector and students and others would like an outcome sooner rather than later, but I also think the old adage of uh, preparation, 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 and uh, that that planning and preparation, I hope, will hold us in good stead for uh, for 2021 and to be a leading light for um, how we return students. Yeah, it's pretty amazing the contribution Rebecca has made across her whole career, but those pandemic months at Austrade really, she made a, a super important contribution with colleagues across the sector, um, as as we know. Now, of course, the Commissioner for Victoria to Southeast Asia is a new role, and it's not just focused on international education. We asked Rebecca to talk to us about her new role. I'm working for the Victorian government or returning to the Victorian government, but for a state where international education is the number one export um, and sitting in uh, Global Victoria and the export agency, we will be doing everything we can to work with the sector to reimagine what international education looks like. And returning students is one part of that, but our broader footprint of where we're teaching, who we're teaching to, how we're delivering that, that's a bigger conversation. So uh, in this role, I get the privilege to have a lens of Southeast Asia over that and really critical markets that I know have always been important to historically important, uh, but I think even more so now as we wrap up 2020, markets like Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, uh, of the 11 regions that my team covers, uh, those are the five key markets uh, I miss Singapore, of course, but um, six key markets that we're, uh, we're focused on for education opportunities. And in explaining her new role, Rebecca also reminded us of the long conversation we've been having in the sector about the need for a role at the federal level to choreograph international education across all of the agencies which have policy influence over it. We don't have such a role, but we need to keep having that conversation. But she also shared her plans to position international education in Southeast Asia at the heart of Victoria's economic recovery plans beyond just student recruitment, as important as that is. This is what she told us. I think a few of us have said this, wouldn't it be great at a federal level to see a Commissioner for International Education one day, uh, someone who could coordinate the efforts and support the very good work that is happening in individual agencies and the reality of how you bring that together. But that's for another podcast, I think. So yes, this this role is trade, investment and education. And I think it's a, a really a great nexus to work in. And particularly because many of us have been talking about wanting to change the narrative that international education does not equal a number of international students or a headcount of international students. International education uh, is much more diverse Uh, inclusive and transformative than that, which does include our transnational, our online offerings, our research partnerships and and otherwise. So embedding them into our trade and investment agenda, working with our universities, our colleagues in Invest Victoria are working with each Victorian university to develop compacts on the types of research and development they're focused on and where they might be looking for investment Uh, This has not happened before, to my knowledge, and I think it's a great move forward placing 
universities and our knowledge institutions at the heart of our economic recovery for Victoria. So for pilot programs and for for reopening more broadly, when we think about Southeast Asia, we're really talking about a hub. You know, this this region um, functions as the place where a lot of our students from South Asia, from East Asia and from all across Southeast Asia often travel through. So in some ways, all roads lead through Southeast Asia, or should we say all flight paths lead through Southeast Asia? And we asked Rebecca about how she's thinking about Southeast Asia as key to our rebuild in international education. Our roots of international education are deep in the region, in Malaysia, in Thailand, uh, in Indonesia, even though we are still quite a, a small market but number one destination. So one of the things that I'm thinking about actually is connected to the pilots, although I'm not Victoria's spokesperson on, on those pilots, but The key, of course, is aviation routes. And so the role that Southeast Asia plays in aviation routes has always been really important, and particularly in lower-cost carriers as well. Think of our friends out of Malaysia in AirAsia, think of of Scoot, think of the new Vietnam Airlines, uh, Vietjet and Bamboo Airways. So because my role does include investment and broader trade, uh, we're part of the conversations with airlines in the region and we're doing uh, some really detailed modelling not just for how will you return Victorians, students and others but also how do we build stronger uh, aviation routes to and from Melbourne out of this and so I think I'm not an aviation expert but if you read anything about what's happening in the aviation sector right now there of course are going to be winners and losers there is significant uh, industry restructuring happening and interestingly some of uh, some of the markets you know, Vietnam as an example, are doing really well in that space. So I think the sheer logistics are going to be critical. And even for students who are coming from other other regions, of course, Singapore, by its very nature, the role of its airport and logistics and the role that it will play, we are looking very closely at how they're managing the planned green corridors, how they're working with innovative health and digital tech companies to ensure a smooth process. And Uh, If anyone was to get that right, I think it would be Singapore and there's a high level of trust as well in in how that works. So uh, we also think that that will play a critical role in in the hubs. But I I think more broadly, we have, as as every uh, state has, uh, about 20% of our students are still offshore and that's growing as students continue to apply for visas and commence studies online. So that's really important. Rebecca also talks about the role she sees herself playing in unlocking digital economy opportunities in Southeast Asia, in education and beyond. And, you know, there are really important online delivery opportunities out there. Some of our clients, for example, have seized the opportunity to take advantage of the online education pilot in Vietnam that that came from the side letter our two countries signed as part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership 11 negotiations. I do think particularly in Southeast Asia, we really need to understand the digital economy and the consumer uh, the consumer patterns that have changed. I mean, we know it here in Australia, you know, you maybe never used Uber Eats before and I've certainly got an account now and um, I'm very thankful um, every time someone comes to deliver that. But in, in Indonesia, as we've all read and seen, you know, the digital economy and the digital uh, services are significant. And so I think for education in, in ASEAN, if we were to... Well, we've already innovated. We've already um, really, I think, moved mountains this year in terms of how we're delivering and how we're listening to the student needs in an online or a blended environment. But I think Southeast Asia is going to be the home for 
how we take that next step. And I really hope what we're seeing is continuing to have early adopters and continuing to have government support behind it. I know the Vietnamese government is working now with the Australian government on pilots that have been underway for many years around on recognition of online. That's accelerated. I mean, just as what happened in China. I know with Indonesia under IASEPA, there are opportunities in that as well. So I think it's that timing of policy uh, programming. I'll add another P, I guess, around price as well in terms of where we're fitting um, in, in the market too, because I think that's that's something that in ASEAN in Southeast Asia, we actually have quite different markets. A student from the Philippines and a student from the Singapore are very different in what they're looking for. Their choices are very different as well. So also taking a much more segmented approach to the region and doing that in partnership with our existing institutions, but also new partners, new referral partners and new digital solutions as well. Look, you know, Rebecca is absolutely right. The digital economy opportunities in Southeast Asia are really enormous. And as we know from the work we've been doing with so many clients who are wanting to either defend their market position in nations in Southeast Asia or expand or diversify their market position, a lot of them are thinking about digital marketing techniques, online education uh, and so on. And so we've been doing a lot of work with Tom Carey, actually, who we mentioned at the top of the pod about how to maximise or optimise digital marketing and recruitment strategies in Southeast Asia. Yeah, that's right. And Rebecca did tell us earlier about this amazing collaboration and cooperation she witnessed and was part of leading at Austrade in, in the pandemic months. And we were really wondering, is she witnessing the same sort of collaboration and cooperation now that she's taken on her new job in the Victorian sector? This is what she said. Absolutely, yes. And it was when I had the privilege to lead international education about four years ago. And to be honest, though, I have to I have to acknowledge that education is a part of my role. So um, I've also been mindful coming into a new role and knowing uh, the leadership there. But the education uh, sector, all the way from vice chancellors uh, to admission staff and others, it is a next level. Uh, collaboration. I do think one of the things that Victoria innovated on early was around uh, student support, of course, post 2009 and the formation of the International Student Support Centre, transforming that into the Study Melbourne Student Centre. And again, in 2020, just stepping that up into an amazing digital service supported by caseworkers. Really interesting procurement models as well in how the service is working with the sector. Uh, as many would know, the International Student Welfare Grants Program, as well delivered uh, during this time by the Victorian government, was a partnership. So it wasn't just designed by government and run as a traditional grants program. It really was a partnership with every institution. And I think that's delivered greater value for the students. Of course, there is always going to be a greater need. I think the program was really important when it was first launched and has supported something like 30,000 international students in, in Victoria. If we think back to some of the challenges of 2009, and if only we had have had some of those wraparound services, 
what a difference that that would have made. Yeah, Angela, I thought it was really interesting to hear Rebecca reference the Indian student crisis and link it to what's happening with COVID-19. And this is something that we do a lot of thinking about. Rebecca is absolutely right to note that for Victoria, the amazing international student welfare program, including all of the supports available through Study Melbourne, have their roots in how our state responded to that crisis. You know, it's been amazing to see nationally how study clusters, in partnership with providers and other community organisations, have stepped up to support international students onshore during the pandemic. But I think there are other lessons or another lesson from that crisis. And that is that if you don't get the messaging right, if you don't have a plan to engage directly with negative press coverage about Australia, a crisis can cast a very, very long shadow. It took Australia 10 years to get back to the pre-crisis enrolment levels out of India, and we must ensure that doesn't happen this time. Now, at the risk of turning this podcast into a broken record, we need a national reopening plan with intentional government messaging to make sure sure that we avoid any risk that this pandemic casts a long shadow over too many more intakes. Okay, sermon over. So Southeast Asia, as we know, and as we've been hearing about today, is about so much more than a source of inbound students. Southeast Asia is essential for our research engagement. And one thing we've been hearing this year is that China is now leading the way in terms of our Australia international uh, research co-authorship on papers. And I think that's an area we could be really focusing on increasing as well, you know, that kind of that research engagement and collaboration with countries within the Southeast Asian region. We know that this is an important area for Australian student mobility, for outbound mobility, and that's so important. You know, we, we, we do hear time and time again that Australia more than ever needs Asia's expertise and this region is is really important for that. We know that this region is really important for skills learning and and for this new kind of uh, approach towards micro-credentialing, for digital education and for really every subsector. So there's a lot going on. It's more than about just bringing in students from, from the region. I think there's a huge opportunity for us to better align all of those efforts. So to show the totality of those efforts all the way from schools like Halibri who signed and completed a partnership during COVID for a new school in Vietnam. Institutions like Melbourne Polytechnic, who uh, their partnership with Enter Audio House, which is a uh, really innovative model, which actually is going to help in COVID recovery for the skills and um, the talent that's needed to support the cultural sector in, in Bandung and West Java Recover. Uh, I think research partnerships obviously might be a little bit political at the moment as well, given what's happening in uh, in Parliament this week around a, a foreign relations bill. But I think so important, particularly Vietnam and Indonesia and Malaysia around those. Mobility, of course, we've seen the necessity of uh, moving to virtual experiences. I know in its 38th year, the Australia-Indonesia Youth Exchange Program, which is kicking off next week, will happen for the first time in a virtual context. You know, I know that everyone's doing all they can to, to maintain that. I'm always an optimist. So my the, the optimist in me goes, there's going to be so much demand uh, once opportunities are open again. Uh, we are learning together as a region. Australia's focus in the region means it's in our interest for 
Indonesia to manage COVID as best they can. It's in our interest for our partners in the Pacific to do the same. And that, of course, our overall intentions of having more young Australians, Victorians who are experiencing the world hasn't changed. It's just how how we're going to, to do that. So I'm hoping we've actually unlocked some people who wouldn't have been able to do a traditional mobility experience, got to do a virtual experience this time, or a remote internship, as I, I know um, colleagues like Jandrew and others have been uh, challenging us to change our language around, and that they're going to want to uh, to be mobile and engaged when it's safe to do so, does link back, I think, to the aviation opportunities. So uh, at the moment, I know it's very hard to get a flight and the, the costs are maybe are quite significant, but there are other ways to look at it, which as we come back online, uh, those who are the first travellers, those who are the adventurers, and, and we perhaps will see some greater access, uh, hopefully easier access into the region as well. Yeah, and look, I can report because I've been watching Rebecca's LinkedIn profile that the Australia-Indonesia Youth Exchange Program did indeed kick off virtually, as she said. And I think let's also add our shout out to Melbourne Poly, to Halebury College and to the great work that people like Jan Drew are doing in Southeast Asia. Now, Rebecca being Rebecca, ended our conversation with a shout out to everyone working in international education right around Australia. So I thought we should share it with you. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure. And I just want to shout out to everyone working in education and our institutions. What an amazing job they do on every year. But this year, I've just been inspired, as you said, by people just showing up, stepping up and taking it to the next level. So in this episode, we've been exploring the importance of Southeast Asia to our international education recovery in Australia and to the nation generally. And in our next episode, we're going to talk about that other super important market for recovery, India. We'll hear from students and senior sector experts to get their thoughts on what's happening and likely to happen with India. Subscribe to The Source Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Ligon Group. You can follow The Ligon Group on LinkedIn and Twitter, or you can visit us at thelygongroup.com. Thanks for listening. See you, Angela. See you, Jeffrey.